You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. For our time together, uh, sermon time this morning will be in the book of Philippians. We'll kind of launch out of there, Philippians chapter 1. The first 13 verses, kind of going to do a few weeks here on just the, the church, local church body, and I have three things, I think, the nature, the mission, and the frame of the church. Uh, I don't have like a real clear like outline laid out necessarily of where all will go, um, so we might have interaction uh, through some discipleship groups that we're doing of just, we've had a lot of good discussion lately on um, what is the church and what are we doing? And so I'm going to um, greedily take some of our time on a Sunday morning to just talk about some of those realities and see if we can get some common language regarding um, what we are doing here. And so this morning we're in Philippians chapter 1. We'll read verses 3 through 11 just to kind of get the context It's a prayer of Paul for the church at Philippi, but we'll really kind of focus in on verse 5. So this is Philippians chapter 1, page 1164 in your pew Bible, verses 3 through 11. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, for I hold you in my heart because you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and, be, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Grass withers and the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. I've been saying that last little phrase there for all of my five years here. It's not a throwaway phrase. Um, it's, it's talking about the nature of, it's there in Isaiah 40, and Peter quotes it in 1 Peter as well, but the reality that the grass withering, the flower fading is our own existence. We are the people, we are the grass, we are the flower that springs up and grows, and then we fade away, and Psalm 103 talks about the breeze blows over the ground, and you go to in the dirt, the, where the grass once grew is not even remembered anymore. But in contrast to that, God's word stands forever. And so as God's people, we stand under what lasts forever, not what lasts temporally, not our own opinions, not our own people, not our own mindsets, not these things that are going to raise up and fade away. We stand under the word of God. 
And so that is formative. That if that has got to be, I mean, I'm almost remember that I would have done something like this when I got here, one of the first Sundays, that we live under this book. That this, we do not stand, we do not put the book down here, stand on top of it and come up with our ideas. But this book is the authority that we have. Our own opinions are not it, but the church does not exist without this special revelation from God. That was not in my notes. I just spent, but anyway, we live under the authority of this book. If you have something that you care about though, you end up gathering with a deep sense of camaraderie with those who care about the same things. I assume you all have your sports teams. And it's funny, some certain kids, that's like the kind of go-to. We talked about basketball at one time and we had a conversation about basketball teams, NBA teams. And then last night I was at an event and he was sitting there and we kind of exhausted basketball. And he said, well, what's your favorite football team? <laughs> and it's like, because we, we, we kind of, many people, if you have sports or anything like that, you kind of have this camaraderie about talking about your teams. For those of you who I know are dying to know, my, my NBA basketball team is the Utah Jazz for multiple reasons we could go into. And my football team is the Buffalo Bills, okay? So I'm, I'm riding high on football right now. But I, I care enough about them that walking around Disney World, you know, um, you see people wearing gear from your team. And if I see them, I mean, I were, we were walking down Epcot and somebody was there in the little UK section, walked by with a jazz shirt on. And I'm like, go jazz, you know? And they, they kind of like, you know, they gave me, you know, an air fist bump because COVID stuff. But, you know, they, they sell a, we had camaraderie over a shared interest, right? Like they knew immediately, like I, we probably could have sat down and had a nice discussion about all that's going on and how the jazz are just killing it this year. Because there's shared interest. There's mutual interest. Um, there's, there's real appreciation between people because of a common interest. You know, they can also go against you um, if you want to hear a ridiculous story about me. So I like, I follow NBA and, and professional sports somewhat um, because you can, you can actually follow them. Like they have the same uh, roster more from year to year, more than college sports. I can't follow college. You have to have a, my brain is not wired to follow that many new names at once. I've got dudes that I talk to that can tell you, who the upcoming prospects are for the next draft and all this stuff and I have no idea. But so uh, it was our honeymoon actually and we were going on the Disney cruise and, and I needed a shirt, like a sports shirt to just kind of hang out on the deck or whatever. And, and so I went to, I'm sure it was TJ Maxx and um, because it's awesome. And it was at this time, we're in the early 2000s, no shade on TJ Maxx. Maybe it's still great, I don't know. But we'd gone, and I, and I saw kind of a basketball shorts, and I'd heard of the team. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a popular team. And I, I've heard that. I know they're good. So I bought the shirt and wore it. I'm down walking around the cruise, and uh, we're coming out of one of the events, and a guy looks at me and gives me kind of an aggressive, I was a little timid, gave me an aggressive look. He's like, I'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock or whatever at the sports bar. Well, you will? I'm like, you know, I'm immediately like... <laughs> Okay, I don't, he's like, the ball game's on tonight. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I had a Duke basketball sweat, a t-shirt on. And Duke is like, you know, evidently this, uh, you, you either really like Duke or you absolutely hate Duke. Like, and I'm just like, I don't know. I just thought they were a good basketball team. But this guy hated Duke. 
And so, I mean, so this can go against you. Like the, the camaraderie about certain issues can be in your favor or it can go against you. Well, Paul, sorry, all of that story is just to say Paul is talking about with this church here at Philippi, a shared love of something that gives them a deep, meaningful bond. And he calls it, he prays for them, and in every prayer, he's making this prayer with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Their partnership in the gospel. Paul is thankful for their partnership. And the Greek word there is it's koinonia, I mean, but it's a it's a commonly used word, which is just talking about fellowship or gathering, partnership, sharing. Sometimes it's translated in a certain context. It's translated as sharing. But you can understand what Paul is meaning here. There's an underlying reality in all of the New Testament epistles. It is, a, it is assumed, it's, it's a given, that those who are in Christ's church have a meaningful life interaction with each other. They have a fellowship. They have a partnership one to another. The local church body is a partnership, a koinonia, a fellowship, an ongoing sharing with one another. This partnership that Paul speaks of is this ongoing reality in the life of a Christian and in the family of God. Paul, I mean, note, Paul doesn't say that he's thankful that at one time they partnered with him. Like it isn't a letter of thank you for your partnership. I appreciated that. Would you consider partnering again? Like we use that language now. Do you get the, I, I, I hand out tons of letters like this from a day, on a day-to-day basis saying basically, thanks for partnering with us. Would you please partner with us again and send us more money in? That's not the language Paul is using. There's this ongoing partnership. There's this ongoing reality. You can see from the language in the rest of the passage that Paul considers this partnership in the cause of Christ never to be something you fade in and out of. It's this ongoing partnership. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, there's this ongoing active engagement with one another. So in, insofar as Paul says, verse 6, that he's sure that he who began the good work will bring it to completion. That this partnership is this ongoing reality in the life of the church. It's a fellowship that will be continued until it's completed. So when we discuss questions like, what is the church? Biblically, there is this understanding that it is an organization that is people involved in ongoing and vibrant partnerships, relationships one to another. What's the language the Bible uses for people in the body of Christ? Brother and sister. That's close language. That's close language. That's familial language that the Bible is constantly using, the New Testament is constantly using about brothers and sisters. There's this ongoing, intimate relationship one to another. It's not an organization that's hanging its hat on relationships it once had. I mean, it can be thankful for those. I'm grateful for the, the seasons of life that we've gone through, but the local church is the body of those engaged in intimate local relationships, ongoing and vibrant relationships in the right now. It's a very current and real partnership in the current moment that God has them in. That is the church. 
That is the church. So Paul is thankful for this partnership. The second quality that he's thankful for, though, is that this partnership is a partnership rooted in something specific. It's a partnership rooted in something specific. Um, I, uh, there's an organization in town, I, I just described to you, uh, they, they, they came in, they, they were in a, a nice building. They, this organization does great things in the community. They, they hold events and do things like air days. Um, they'll, they'll hold special dinners, special, special uh, meals, special events like that for the community. They give to graduates. They're, they're caring for the community. Um, if, if they do recruiting so that if when they see someone that is not a member of their community, they'll ask them, hey, have you ever thought about becoming a member of our community? And they'll tell you, here's kind of, there's a few requirements for you, but, but really it's, you know, not that big of a deal. Come on in and we want new members. And, and it's a group that prays when they get together, they, they'll, even before the meal, they'll pray before they try to serve the community. And what am I describing to you there? What, what is the organization I'm describing to you? You can almost really pick tons of them, but it's, it's our local Lions Club. Our local Lions Club is exactly what I'm describing to you. These are the things, and they are good. We have lions in our congregation, members of the Lions Club. We don't have lions in our congregation. That sounds stupid. <laughs> You're safe. There's no lions. We have Lions Club members in our congregation. And, you know, and it's, a fine, it's a fine, good organization, but what is it rooted? What is it partnering on? Is there anything, what fundamentally distinguishes the church from the Lions Club? We want to do good things in the community. I love serving stuff at Air Days, being involved in, in loving graduates, caring for the community. I mean, we, we want to be invested in those things. Be about prayer? Yeah. Serve meals? I hope so. I'll sneak to the dessert table and while everyone else is going through the line. I hope so. But if... If that is all we are, we are not a church. We're just another Lions Club. We, we have to have something bigger than that that we are grounded upon. Organizations get unified around many different things. What is the church gathered around that can carry the weight of that union? And Paul says he is grateful for their partnership in the gospel. What's strong enough to pull all of these individuals together I mean, Duke lovers, and is it North Carolina? Are they the ones that hate each other? I, I, I don't, people know better than me. I, yeah, okay. You know, it can pull people from separate, it can pull Hawks fans and Cyclone fans into the same congregation because there's a bigger thing grounding them together. There's something bigger that can carry the weight of their unity. At the end of the day, if an organization is going to call itself a Christian church in any sort of way that Paul, the New Testament, would recognize, it must be unified around the gospel. This means our primary partnership is not in politics. Our primary partnership is not in politics. Our primary uh, partnership is not in personality. We are a certain kind of people. We have this kind of people that come here. That Our primary partnership is not in socioeconomic status. That you, it requires so many dollars to get in. You've got to be at a certain class level to get in. Our, our primary partnership is not just around a desire to be nice, as commendable as that may be. That is not the primary uh, anchor of the Christian church. 
The church that is united around anything less than the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a true church. The church body, what is its nature? It is a partnership, but a partnership specifically in the gospel. The heartbeat of the church of Jesus Christ must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what I've attempted to emphasize over and 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 over to us. If we are not centered around this, there is nothing great enough to center. We, we might as well remove Christian church off of the labels that we put out if we are not centered around the gospel. If the gospel is the heart of the church, without it, there is no vitality. There is no blood flow. There is no growth. The church for a season may continue to operate like a chicken with its head cut off, runs around for a while, but eventually it bleeds out and doesn't do anything. That's a church without the God that loses the gospel. So what is this gospel? What is this good news? Paul's simplest de description is 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says just plainly there, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. There he says, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, this is the delivering, the gospel, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Paul says that this gospel, he needs to remind them of. They got to keep hearing it. I remind you again of this gospel. They've received it. They must stand in it. Is that Christ has died for our sins. He's been buried and he's been raised. I think the four categories that are the easiest to think of the gospel. I've shared this before, but you think of a, a square split into quadrants. They're doing that in second grade now. So you, you put it into fourths. And in these quadrants, you have God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, and response. God is the creator of all things. He has made it all, has authority over it all. He has the say over what is right, what is wrong. He, because he made it, and therefore he has the right. He's deserving of all of our praise. As the creator, all creatures and all of creation. Psalm 19, heavens declare the glory of God. God is creator. But secondly, man has transgressed. Paul says, Christ died for our sins. If man is not dead in sins, then Christ died for no reason. But Paul understands something has gone wrong. Man has transgressed. Since the, since the garden, when Adam and Eve decide to rebel, we have followed in their train ever since. We have plunged ourselves and ourselves and the world into sin. Now, I get a lot of grief on this point. I'll be honest with you. Because if you attend faithfully here, you know that every Sunday I call you a sinner. And I'm not going to stop. It's, I can't. I, this word has authority over what I have to say up here. And, but listen, I'm throwing myself under the same umbrella. I call you a sinner because I know humanity. And scripture reads us quite well. And it says... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. You go many places. All of Romans 3. 
that man, Ephesians chapter 2, that we are born dead and we are, are by nature children of wrath. So I remind you of your desperate state before God. And I don't let any of us off the hook when it comes to the reality of sin. Why is that? Darren is a real downer, isn't he? Is, is Darren, am I just a real bummer? I mean, I suppose that may be so. And we could have that argument. We could have that discussion. Maybe I am. Just, I don't know. You let me know. We'll, we'll talk. I don't think so. The reality is that I am obligated by the word of God to share such truths. We are not writing the story. God is. First category. God is creator. Sovereign over it all. He's in charge. He knows what is best. Man has fallen has broken the world, has, is at enmity against God. We are not writing the story. You are not writing the story. God is writing the story. And honestly, if hearing the reality of your condemnation before God as a sinner always makes you feel, leave feeling worse than when you came, please don't stop listening. I beg you, don't stop listening. Don't stop listening. You've checked out, aren't listening to the rest of the story. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, on your own, you have no hope. On your own, you cannot climb a ladder to please God. You cannot get high enough to reach justification and right standing before God. You are not the hero of your story. But the good news is that there is a hero. It just ain't you, all right? And that's good news. Now, that's offensive news because, hey, I love superhero shows too. I want to be Captain America of my life. I mean, yeah, I want to be the, the centerpiece of the story, but I'm not, and neither are you, which is bad news until you can listen and hear me say, there is a hero. There is a savior. Christ has come in. God, man, Christ. Christ has come into the world to rescue sinners. We, a lot of the disappointment comes in because we want to be the heroes of our own stories. And you sure can try. But I'd rather face the reality of my hopeless condition and save myself the fruitless effort of trying to save myself and see Christ for the glorious Savior that he is and trust him. Which brings us finally to the response. God, man, Christ response. Don't overlook response. Don't simplify it too much. For years, it's been portrayed that response is just, I walked the aisle, or I, I had the Bible that's got my confirmation date in, or I was baptized on this date, or I, I, was in, I grew up at this, you know, we have all these, this is my response. We have all these ideas for what means, what is meant by response. Is that what Paul is talking about? Remember Paul's thankfulness? This church had a response. These people had a response. What was their response? Partnership, fellowship, ongoing connection with the body of Christ. That is the response. We sell it too short when we say, Jesus isn't really asking anything of you other than just to say, okay, Jesus, you can save me from hell. Jesus says, that he call, calls, he bids them, this, Jesus didn't say this, this is Bonhoeffer, says when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. But Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
that there is a reality of what's, what you're being called to in response is this love for this gospel in such a way that it is the driving foundation of your life. It is the driving foundation of your life. These are the questions that I want to leave us with today. I got something we'll talk about maybe next week. These are the foundation questions I want to leave us with. Are you partnered with God's people in that way? Is that a partnership that is the partnership that you have here, one that is grounded first and foremost in the gospel? Is your partnership producing good fruit in your own heart and reaching out to the world around you? Are you busy with the work of being a disciple and making disciples? And if not, why not? Why not? And if so, pray for continued strength in your work, that God would continue to raise up workers for the harvest. There is great work ahead. And God will accomplish it through the partnership of his own people as they ground themselves upon and grow themselves through the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would move in every one of our hearts. There are, there are so many desires and pulls, wants and wishes that, that cry out for our heart's attention. There are so many things that attempt to give us sure footing to ground our lives upon. But Father, as we are gathered as a Christian church, may we seek to be people grounded upon this good news over all else. Father, I pray there would be a genuine joy in my heart and the hearts of every one of us that there is a Savior and that is resigned and okay and, and actually glad that the Savior isn't me. What a doomed state I would be in if it were up to me. But there is a Savior. Christ has come. Christ has lived the righteous life I should have lived, died the death that I deserve, so that through repentance, turning from my sin and trusting to Christ, responding to the call of discipleship, partnering in the gospel, I'm, I'm saved, forgiven, welcomed into the kingdom, made a part of the family of God. Father, by your help, may that be the grounding force that this local body is about today and every day until you complete the work in Christ Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.